Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is number 13 in the series, and it's entitled Jesus and Anger. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to you. My name is Pastor Mike, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Rocky Peak, and we're about to go into our time of teaching. And uh, we're in a series called, on the Sermon on the Mount, called uh, The Message and the Movement. And if you're new here, I want to invite you, inside of your bulletin is a white message note sheet that'll help you follow along as we go through our time of teaching today. And I uh, encourage you to take that out. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, don't make that mistake next time. And uh, so from, yeah, Matthew chapter 5, and then we're going to pray and, uh, and, and ask God to come and be with us and to, to lead us. So you ready to go? Okay. Father, thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. God, thank you that you have a plan for each one of us. Part of that plan is being here today. And Lord, we're here to gather around you uh, as your disciples did 2,000 years ago. We're here to gather around, to sit at your feet, and to listen and to learn. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd come and you'd apply this message to our life as we talk about an incredibly important topic in terms of what it means to follow you. We pray in your name. Amen. It was one o'clock in the morning, the lights were out, and they're both lying in bed. They've been there for the last two hours, neither one's speaking. They're only 18 inches apart, but it might as well be a mile, because neither one wants to move for fear they might touch the other and signal some sort of truce. They're not sure exactly how it started. It was earlier in the evening, maybe about seven o'clock, and he said something, and she responded, and pretty soon it escalated. One thing led to another. Angry words were sad. Old issues were resurfaced that had never been resolved. Old offenses resurrected. It started off about the issues, but it didn't take long until it wasn't about the issues, it was about the person. Angry words were being spoken, barbs being thrown. It was almost like like words were being shot from a bow, like arrows destined to the heart. Though neither one would admit it as he lay there in the dark, those, those arrows that first were about issues but then became about character and about person and who you are and who I am, that those arrows had found their mark. And though neither would want to admit it, they're lying there in the dark and they're both wounded and they're both angry and they're both bitter and they wonder how did we get here. They first met 10 years ago. They dated for two years They decided to get married. They planned the big wedding. They were so much in love, and it seems like another life ago now. They've been married for seven years. They have two kids, and how many nights do they spend like this, going to bed, only inches apart, and yet their hearts are beating. There's a lump in their throat, their stomach. There's a knot. And though they're only those inches apart, it might as well be a chasm a mile deep as they lay there in the darkness And they both think to themselves, it's going to be another lonely, long, restless night. Today we move into this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. We started it last weekend. Jesus, if you were here last week, comes to us. He says, if you want to be a part of my movement, you want to be one of my followers, then your righteousness, your rightness, your learning to live life the right way, it needs to be greater than the spiritual leaders of their day, the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, what I'm looking for is people who really learn how to live life the right way that are not religious people, but they are right people. Remember, we, we talked about this last week, how Jesus is not into religion. In fact, the only kinds of people he doesn't get along with when he was here, the main kind of person was religious people. We looked last week about how the re- religious people tend to be superficial people. It's all about surface. It's not about the heart. It's not about real change. And Jesus says that he came to teach us a way of living that's it's higher, it's richer, it's deeper than fuller than anything that we could have imagined. And so he lays this groundwork. He says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be part of my kingdom, if you want me to change you from the inside out, then your rightness has to be different than religious rightness. I want to change you at the core. And now he's going to start and give us six examples of what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be changed at the core? In the next many weeks, we'll be taking one of these topics each week. And today, the topic is anger. 
And every day, every, uh, every, for every topic, Jesus follows the exact same pattern. Here's what he'll say. In the past, here's what you've been taught about living life the right way. He says, but I have something new to teach you, okay? And every time, he'll, he'll follow that same pattern. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you're not already there. We'll start at verse 21. We'll go through verse 26. Five twenty-one. He says, you've heard it said, in other words, this is what you've been taught in the past. You've heard it said to the people long ago, do not uh, murder. Now, this is a good rule. Will we all agree with this? Do not murder. You know, you don't get along with Bob next door. Don't kill the poor guy. You know, that's, that's kind of basic rule number one. And this is number six of the Ten Commandments, right? Do not murder. He says, so, so you've all got that one down. He says, you understand that. Well, that's what has been told you in the past. He says, um, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. In other words, you're going to have to answer to God for that if you kill someone. Verse 22. He says, but I tell you, so here comes his new teaching now, but I tell you that the, here's the reality, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So you don't have to kill the guy, just, you're just angry at him. You kind of wish you could kill him. Right? Uh, he says, if your heart is wrong and you, you kind of wish you could do someone harm and you're angry and they hurt you and you want to hurt them back, he says, something's wrong. Something's wrong at the court. He says, this new life that I'm calling you to, I don't want you to just keep from killing Bob. I want to change you so your heart, you don't hate Bob. You don't wish you could kill uh, Bob. Now, this is why I read a little bit, but how many of you are feeling like you might be guilty already? Okay, and the rest of you are guilty of the other commandment about not lying. Yeah. So we're on our way here. We're going to see if we can break all 10 in one day. Uh, yeah, hey, we've all been there. Can we just admit that? We've all been there. We've all, we've all had anger in our heart towards someone that we don't like and we want to get them back and they've hurt us or they've offended us or they insulted us and we're going to show them, right? We've all been there. And so Jesus comes and says in his kingdom, in his movement, he wants to change us from the inside out. So we're not only we're not killing people, but we're not angry at people. He, he's changing us at that heart level. Now, just a little sidelight here. If you have a King James Version, you'll notice you got two extra words in your Bible for the same price. And what it says, if you have a King James Version, it says, if you're angry with your brother without cause. That's extra words. And the reason is for this is that in, most of the most, in the most ancient manuscripts, those words without cause aren't there. But in, in some of the manuscripts, they are. And so what most scholars believe happened is that, you know, sometimes uh, scribes would add something. And you kind of compare manuscript with manuscript. And it's most likely that some scribe added this because it was kind of a big deal. You know, don't ever get angry with anyone. You're, you're going to be subject to judgment. You know, can we tone that down a little bit? How about if we put without a cause? You know, it's okay if I get angry with Bob if I have a good reason. And so um, in the best manuscripts, it's not there, and that's why it's not there. And I just wanted to mention that because some of you will have King James Bibles. And you wonder the whole time, why does their Bible say what our, our Bible say? All right. So Jesus says, Oh, we got a cell phone going. All right. All right. The danger is I might start dancing. So just, I'm just warning you, you probably want to turn it off. All right. Okay. So verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother uh, will be subject to judgment. Uh, there's something already wrong at a heart level. And he says, now anyone who says, uh, again, anyone who says to his brother, now we're going to take it to the next level. You're not only angry now, but you're going to begin to verbally attack them. All right. So it's, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka. Uh, which is like Aramaic for idiot, stupid, fool. Uh, okay, Rakai. Uh, he says, now, now you're really guilty. Now you're answerable to the Jewish high court, their supreme court, which was called the Sanhedrin. He says, but anyone who says, now we're going to take it to the next level, we're not just going to call you Raka, we're going to say you're a fool. Now, in the uh, Hebrew mentality, uh, to call someone a fool meant not only they were stupid, it meant they were evil and stupid. Because, uh, like in the Old Testament, it says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so this is kind of a person who's a mocker, time of per- kind of evil. And so he's taking it to the next level. You're not just Raka, you're a fool. And he says, if you say that, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay? So are we, are, we, are we good so far? Here's what Jesus is saying. He says that if you want to be right with God, we have to have our hearts changed to remove the anger. It's not just killing someone. It's the anger that leads to murder. You see, it's that anger that Jesus wants to deal with this on. Okay, now, like uh, all good teachers, Jesus is going to give a couple illustrations, a couple uh, applications. Here's what I'm talking about. So he says, uh, so for example, therefore, 
if you're offering your gift at the altar. Now, there's only one altar in all of Israel, and that altar is at Jerusalem, at the temple. And so if you wanted to do, perform a sacrifice, you'd have to make the long trip to Jerusalem. Now remember, he's talking here in this passage to people at the Sea of Galilee. So we're 80, 90 miles to the north. And so he's going to use an extreme example. Remember how I talked to you last week how Jesus is sort of a shock rabbi? He likes to use extreme examples to get our attention. So he's going to use an extreme example. He says, okay, so let's say that you're at the altar. You've taken this 80, 90 mile trip. You've come down to Jerusalem to offer this sacrifice so you can be right with God. You're standing in the long line. You bought your little sheep. You paid good money because you have to pay good money at the temple to get good sheep. And you're standing there. It's your turn. It's time for you to offer your sacrifice. And all of a sudden, it says, you remember something. Uh-oh, you remember that your brother, let's call him Bob again, your brother Bob, he's got something against him. So all of a sudden you're there, you're ready to get right with God, and all of a sudden you remember that, hey, uh, I've got this, fall, have this falling out with Bob, and we never fixed that thing. I never tried to fix that thing. And he's, you know, of course, Bob's back in Galilee, right? And so he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your gift there at the altar. Excuse me, could you please hold my sheep for like two weeks? I'll be right back. You know, I'll be back just a couple weeks. Just feed him well. I want to show he's alive because I have to give a life offering. And um, he says, I want you to leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother. Be right with your brother and then come back with your gift. So what's the message? He says, don't think that you can go and be right with God when you're wrong with people. That's the message. He says, if you want to be right with God, you got to get right with people. In fact, that's the order of it. Go get right with people and then come back and then be right with God, Okay. And so, uh, next, next example. In those days, they had what we call debtor presents. And so, let's say that I owe you money. I owe you 5,000 bucks. I can't pay you. And so, you say, Mike, if you don't pay me, I'm taking you to court. So, we go to court. And on the way, we're talking, look, you need to pay me a payment plan or something. No, no, no I'll take my chances. And so, we get there. We get to the judge, and he says, okay, Mike, you do. He's, he's, he's proven it. You owe him 5,000 bucks. Pay it up. I, I don't have a judge. I don't have 5,000 bucks. Okay, well, you're going to jail. In fact, you're going to go to jail until you pay up. This was called the debtor's prison. Of course, the downside of this is when I'm in prison, I can't be earning money. So the only hope I have is that some friend will have mercy on me, some relative, and they'll bail me out. They'll pay my $5,000 so I can get out, see? So Jesus says, now, he says, this is like an analogy. He says, when you're wrong with someone, and you've offended someone, you've hurt them, uh, you better make up with them before you get to me. Because otherwise, I'm going to hold you accountable, and you're going to jail. You're going to spiritual jail, right? So here we go. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary, your enemy, who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and then the judge may hand you over to the officer, like the policeman, and you'll be thrown into prison. And I'm telling you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, so there's the passage. So here's what we're going to do today. First one, we want to talk, first of all, about the relationship between Jesus and anger, and the kingdom, all right? Jesus, anger, and the movement. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, what he wants, Jesus wants to talk to us today about the relationship between you, your anger, himself, and the kingdom, okay? And then secondly, we're gonna come back, and I wanna get as practical as we can because I think most of us here probably have anger issues at times in our life. So how do we grow? If it's so important, how do we grow in dealing with our anger? So let's jump in. There, if you haven't flipped your page, it's on the next page, Jesus' Anger in the Kingdom. And we're just going to give you one principle and spend some time here. I'm going to sink down some, good, some deep roots. Here's the principle. Here's what Jesus wants us to understand from this passage as we become followers, what it means to live life the right way. Here it goes. Anger is a big deal. Now, Jesus wants to understand this whole issue of anger in our life, it is a big deal. In fact, if you were here last week, remember we talked last week about how religious people tend to use the wrong ruler to measure their spirituality, right? And so I gave you an example. I said, like, in Christian circles, we'll often, you know, someone uses a cuss word, you know, it's like, uh, wow, it's like on a scale of 1 to 10, 10, are they really even saved, you know? <laughs> uh, someone lights up a cigarette, oh my gosh, you know, I thought they were a Christian, you know? And so, and on a scale of one, now, now remember, we were here last week. If you weren't here last week, you're thinking, oh, this is a church that smokes and cusses. No, we're not. <laughs> we talked clearly last week that is it wrong to cuss or Yes, it's wrong. It's, it's wrong. Is it wrong to smoke? Yes, 
You know, it's probably, probably not a good thing for your body. We probably shouldn't be doing that, okay? So we all agree with that. But we said on a scale of 1 to 10, there's a lot bigger issues, right? And that religious people tend to focus on the minors, right? Well, this issue, this we're talking about this week, anger, this is a major. This is what I want you to catch. What Jesus wants you to catch is that, hey, as you're measuring out what does it mean to live life the right way, anger is a big deal. And the funny thing is, we often will tend, even in Christian circles, to minimize this. Oh, I was just blowing off a little steam. Don't take me so seriously. What's the big deal? I want you to catch. Jesus says, no, this is a big deal, right? And if you're going to follow me in my kingdom, it's huge you get a handle on this because otherwise it's going to pollute all of your relationships, you're never going to be able to do it. Think with me like the couple we started the day with. The couple that's laying there, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. They've been laying there for two hours in the middle of the dark, right? Now I want you to think about that couple. They've been laying there for two hours. They're not moving. They haven't spoken in two hours. But they don't need to, do they? There's a war going on, isn't there? They don't have to say a word for two hours. They don't have to hit each other. They, nothing has happened. But there's a war going on. That relationship is broken, isn't it? And this is the way anger is. When anger enters into a relationship, there is a breach, a brokenness. There's an attack that happens. And stop and think. You, you know this because in your life, when someone gets angry at you, if you hear someone's really angry at you, you haven't even seen their verbals. You haven't heard anything they said. They haven't spoken a word. They haven't called you. Called, you don't even know. But you know they're angry. All of a sudden, your defenses are going to go up right away, aren't they? You're going to get defensive. Why? Because anger is an attack. Anger is, you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. At the core of anger is, you just, I'm going to hurt you back. Now, some of you are thinking, well, isn't anger sometimes a good thing? Well, we'll talk about that later, okay? We'll, we'll get to that. But for just for now, Jesus wants us to understand anger is a big deal. Uh, years ago, I read a book by uh, Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas is a, a, a philosophy prof at USC. He's also a Christian. He's also was a pastor. In fact, a lot of you don't know this. He was the first pastor of this church. And uh, he's one of my favorite authors and uh, just a very provocative thinker, good, good thinker. And he wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And it's a lot about the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section on what does it look like to live life the right way and what, is the, you know, what does that look like, he points out that it's very interesting how when Jesus talks about here's what it takes to live life the right way, the very first example he uses is our anger. In fact, I put it there on your note sheet. He says, when we trace uh, wrongdoing back to its roots, you know, in our life, in the human heart, we find that in an overwhelming number of cases that it involves some form of anger. Close beside anger, you'll find its twin brother, contempt. You know, like you're an idiot. Jesus' understanding of them, these two things, and their role in life becomes the basis of his strategy, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the basis of his strategy for establishing kingdom goodness or kingdom rightness. It is the elimination of anger and contempt that he presents as the first and fundamental step toward the righteousness of the kingdom heart. You see? In other words, if you want to follow Jesus, be part of his movement, you want to grow up and be like Jesus, one of the first steps that we have to take is this whole issue of anger, dealing with anger. Now, I know some of you who have been Christians for a while, or you're a little bit brighter than the rest of us, whatever, that you, uh, right away, when I first began talking about anger, that you started saying, um, but isn't anger okay at times? Isn't anger a right thing? Isn't there such a thing as righteous anger? And the answer is yes, there is. Uh, we know at times that Jesus was angry, right? We know at times that, uh, you know, well, God gets angry, right? So, so, okay, we understand. In fact, there's a great story about this. One of my favorite uh, little stories, usually not a, not a real well-known story in the Old Testament, story of King Saul. Um, Saul had just become king, first king of Israel. They've never had a king. So Israel's not really good at this king thing. They, they haven't really figured it out yet. So they anoint him king. Everyone's cheering, yay, we have a king. Now what do we do? I don't know. Let's go home. So they all go home. Uh, even Saul goes home. In fact, he goes home. He starts plowing his fields again. You know, he's now King Saul out plowing the fields. And all of a sudden, a crisis hits their country. There's a particular city that gets invaded or surrounded by foreign armies. And these armies come in. They say, hey, we want, to, uh, we want you to surrender to us. And they say, well, let, let's think about that. There's, see, there's a lot more of you than us. Okay, we'll surrender. 
said, okay, well, one more thing, fine print. When you surrender, we want to gouge out the right eye of everyone in your city, man, woman, and child. Uh, just because we want to prove our point that we are in control and we want to humiliate you. And so they said, um, can we have a week to think about that? <laughs> they send messengers to all Israel. Hey, if anyone got any bright ideas, could you come and help us? And so, so the messengers go out. Saul's out in his field. He's with his oxen doing his oxen thing. He gets down. He's coming in with his oxen. The messenger comes up, tells him the story. Now, all over Israel, this story is going out. People are crying and weeping all over Israel. This is a tragedy. What's going to happen? We, this is going to be horrible. All these one-eyed people from the city. And, and so we've got to prevent this, you know. And, and uh, so everyone's crying. And they come up and they tell Saul. And, and it's a really interesting thing happens. The Bible says right then, right there, it says that the Spirit of God came upon Saul. And here's a quote. He burned with anger. Okay. So I want you to catch this. The Holy Spirit descends on him, and that result is anger, okay? And so what he does, right then, right there, he, he takes his two oxen, he drops them right there, kills them, butchers them up right there, takes the pieces of oxen, gives them to the messenger, says, take it to every city in Israel, and tell them, if they don't show up to help me go get these bad guys, I'm coming after them, I'm going to cut their oxen up, it's going to look just like this oxen. It was very effective, you know, very effective recruiting drive. And so this case study works. They all show up. They go. They rescue their buddies from the city. No one loses their eye. Everyone wins, all right? And so here's an example from the Bible of what we'd call anger that's good. So here's a question. How do you know, and this is a very important question, how do you know when anger in your life is a good thing? How do you know when anger is a bad thing? Okay, this is going to be a very simple answer, right? Here's the answer. Anger is a good thing when it moves you to do the right thing. Okay? Anger is a bad thing when it moves you to do a wrong thing. So like in their case, he's going to courageously stand up for the rights of the oppressed and risk his life. That's a good thing. Right? Uh, someone says something about you at work and you don't like them, you want to get them back and hurt them back. Bad thing. Right? And so when anger moves us to do the right thing, it's a good thing. When it's a bad thing, it's uh, vice versa. Okay, now, when you look at the life of Jesus, this is what you see. Did he get angry? Yes. But did he get angry because people were slighting him? Did he get angry because people hurt him? Did he get angry because, uh, oh, they said something that was offensive to him? No. He got angry because people outside of himself were being oppressed. You see? It wasn't about him. It was about others. And what you see this throughout the, the New Testament is that therefore, this is what Jesus is saying, that in our lives, your life and my life, take it to the bank, 99% of the time, our anger is wrong. <laughs> and that's why Jesus is so clear in the Sermon on the Mount of that, hey, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty. You're subject to judgment. That desire in your heart to hurt them back, that's wrong. Okay. Now, the New Testament is very consistent on this. And so I just want to real quickly run through a couple passages on this before we get real practical. So there in your note sheet, let's look in a couple verses. First one's from James chapter 1. Now James, of course, is the half-brother of Jesus, uh, same, same uh, mother, different father. And uh, so he says, my dear brothers, take note of this. In other words, pay attention. Everyone, now no exceptions. You might want to circle that word, everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, why? Why should we be slow to become angry? He says, because man's anger, as opposed to God's anger, right? Man's anger does not accomplish the righteous life that God desires. In other words, your anger, my anger, nine times out of ten, 99 out of 100, it doesn't push you towards doing the right thing. It pushes us towards doing the wrong thing. Next verse, Ephesians 4.31, Paul's writing. He says we're to get rid, notice that, get rid, like take it out like the trash. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of uh, all rage. Get rid of all anger. Now notice the, the, the inclusive language here. It says get rid of all. That's pretty, pretty inclusive, right? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. In fact, get rid of the, the brawling and the slander that comes from your anger along with every form of malice. So let's, let's say that you're in your kitchen 
and you smell something in the trash cans, and it really smells, uh, what do you do? Well, if you're a man, you say, I'll let my wife get it, right? <laughs> That's what I do. And Lynn says, you smell something? No, I don't smell anything. Um, you, you smell something? I think it's the trash. Why don't you check? Yeah, maybe we should take that out. Um, no, uh, no, seriously, you, you smell something, it's, it's like stinks in your trash. What do you do? You, you, you take it out. You don't like wait five days and then say, huh, it's getting worse every day. You get rid of it, right? And so Paul, so Paul says, hey, in your life, get rid of anger. Get rid, just get rid of it. Don't like let it fester. Don't let it wait for a week. Get rid of it, okay? Next verse, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Um, in your anger, it's a quote from the Old Testament. Paul quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 4, 6, where, uh, 4, 4, where David's speaking. He says, in your anger, do not sin. He says, when you get angry, be very careful. You're, you know, it's a dangerous time in your life. And he says, in fact, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Take the trash out. Get rid of it, ASAP. He says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, this is interesting. The Apostle Paul says that when you allow anger to remain in your life, it's like welcoming Satan to your relationship. It's like saying, okay, like that couple that's laying there in the bed, they're 18 inches apart, afraid they don't touch each other. He says, if they don't deal with that anger and get rid of that anger in their relationship, it's like, hey, that 18 inches, that's for Satan. He gets to come and lay right there, you know? Uh, you have a falling out with a buddy, and you don't go after it and try to figure it out and, and work it. It's, like, it's kind of like saying, hey, Satan, would you stand right here in the midst of our friendship? I, I created a little foothold for you. you can just, it's just a small place to stand. You can stand right here in the midst of our friendship, you know? Maybe you could help us with this whole situation, you see? So he says, when we don't deal with anger, you're, you're really going to welcome Satan into that relationship to destroy it. Okay, so, so Jesus wants us to understand that this whole deal of anger is a huge deal. It's a big deal. If we want to follow him in his kingdom, then you and I have to find a way to get our hands around this and to grow in this area because if we don't, it's going to ruin our relationships. Right? It's, just, it's very foundational uh, what, what we're talking about. All right, so there in your note sheet, let's talk about how to, uh, how to deal with it. And uh, I'm going to give you four steps. Now, we only have, whatever, a couple hours here. And, um, and, and so I can't share, you know, we can't go into super detail with all this. But what I want to do is lay out some steps I think will be truly helpful just to at least get us started in this, whole, in this whole journey of growing in the area of anger. So number one, here's the first step. Number one, don't defend it. Okay, if you want to grow in your anger, the first thing you have to do is stop defending your right to be angry. Now, this is huge. Because typically, when we get angry, our, our first response is to justify it, isn't it? Well, if you knew what they had said, well, I understand, but if you knew what they did, if you, if you understood, and there's almost a sense of righteousness about it. There's a feeling like, well, I'm mad, but I have a right to be mad. The center of the universe has just been violated. It's me. And we need to bring the wrath of God, speaking for myself, down on this person, right? There's something that we just need to, to justify this. Um, and so, so God, uh, Jesus comes and says, uh, no, no, you don't have a right to be angry. In fact, when you're angry with your brother, um, you are subject to judgment. You, you're already transgressed. Your heart is wrong. Okay? So I want you to catch this. If you want to grow in this area, your first step is to stop justifying. We can't, we've got to stop defending it. And I, I don't know how many times that we do this, even in Christian circles, where we will do this and say, hey, it's no big deal. I was just blowing off some steam. What's the big deal? I want you to catch here, Jesus says, when you're blowing off steam and you're calling people idiots and fools, you're in danger of hell. Does that sound like a big deal to you? Yes. Jesus is trying to get our attention here. He's trying to say, look, this is important. This holy of anger, you're going to follow me. This is important. So don't, don't defend it. We've got to learn to be honest about it and, and be able to come, bring it before God and so on. All right? So number two. The second step. The second step is we need to trace it to its source. 
Okay, if you want to grow in your area of anger, you're going to have to learn how to be sort of an expert on yourself. You're going to have to learn how to trace it to its source. Like, what's causing this anger? Anger is what we call a secondary emotion, all right? Now, by secondary emotion, we mean that anger is a response to something else. When you get angry, there's always a reason for it. You don't just get angry out of the blue. There is a reason why you're angry. It's a response to some other stimulus. The question is, what is causing it? And here's the point. If you want to grow in your your anger, uh, the way you deal with your anger, you have to learn to say, to trace it back. I'm angry. What is going on here? What is causing it? Now, let me give you, for example, three very common causes of anger. This doesn't take in every cause of anger, but it probably takes in maybe 90% of them. All right? So when you get angry, I can, probably in most cases, 90% of the time, one of these three will be there. And, and let me you know, just kind of give you a feel for this. Okay? So number one, here's the first cause. There's a blank there in your note sheet. The first cause is hurt. That, um, that many times, um, that when you get angry, it's cause of hurt. After the last service, I had a, a man come up and said, man, thanks for the message. That was awesome. He said, hurt is my deal. And his wife has left him for another man. And he's really angry about that. And so he's, he's, he's like, okay, I get it now. It's the reason I'm angry is I'm hurt. You know? And so often it can be emotional hurt. It can be financial hurt. It can be physical hurt. But, but one of our, when, we, when, we, when someone hurts you, a natural human fallen response is to hurt back. It's to get angry and we want to hurt back. Okay? A second example uh, of where uh, it comes from, source of, uh, source of anger, is pride. Now, this is huge. This week in your life group homework, you're going to be studying some case studies from the Old Testament of of people that got in trouble with their anger and and the problems it caused in their life. One of the questions we'll be asking is, what was the source of their anger? Trace it out. And, um, And as I was looking through potential case studies to put in this week, I was shocked to see that over and over again, almost everyone that I could see, almost everyone, that pride was a big part of it. You see? Now, what does pride look like? It looks like when someone insults you. It looks like when someone doesn't respect you. They should have copied me on that email. I'm part of that team. They left me out, right? Um, they, they didn't respect me. They don't appreciate me. Now, just think of a common example, like when you get cut off on the freeway, right? You're driving in the freeway. I have these certain rules about freeway drive, about driving. I don't know if you have your own. And in my rules, and one day the whole world will understand this and get together. But in my, in my world, when, when I'm driving, there's certain rules. Like there's a certain amount of space that should leave in front of me. And if you violate my space, I'm upset with you. In fact, I, I often feel a need to correct you. Now, for example, one way of correcting you might be to pull up close to your rear end to help you understand space. And now this is how it feels when you don't have enough space, and hopefully this will be educational for you. Another uh, alternative method is you pull around the person and get in front, and then you slow down. Now this creates space. You know, it's, you see now, see, 10 feet really isn't enough. <laughs> and so I just, it's one of my callings in life, you know, just to, to educate and share with people what I've learned. It's a gift of teaching coming out in a driving situation. Okay, so, so, so we all have this, right? We, we have these kinds of things. Now, now, stop and think with me. When that person pulls in front of me, they pull 10 feet in front of me and they violate my space. Now, what am I going to do? I, okay, well, I've got to slow down. So I'm going to slow down, okay, to create more space. And now that's taking me 30 seconds, let's say, out of my life. Now, now why am I angry? Am I angry because I'm going to be 30 seconds late to my next destination? No. I'm angry because they insulted me. Who do you think you are to get in my space? Didn't your mother not teach you better? Right? Do you not remember those DMV books, you know? One second, a certain amount of space for every second. It's not, you know, don't you know that thing, you know? Right? And so, so one of the, the powerful things that causes, creates anger in our life is, is insult or pride. Okay? A third one. A third thing that creates this is frustration. Now, by frustration, what I mean 
is when, you're, when someone doesn't carry out your will for their life. Right? <laughs> a, a huge amount of anger flows when you don't get what you want. Okay, you have a will for your life, right? And your will is that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> and when your will is violated, it causes anger. That could be little, it could be big. Your will may be that I'm tired of driving the car and having it always empty on gas. I asked you to fill it up. That's my will. You violated my will. The will may be I don't like bre- uh, fish sticks three nights in a row. You know, <laughs> can we come up with a little variety? You know, uh, they, so it might be your, so your but, or it could be big. My will was I, I deserve that promotion. I'm the best man for the job. You gave it to someone else because of politics. It could be big or it could be small. But one of the things that creates anger in our life is when our will is violated. Now, this, this starts when we're about two years old, right? We, we know what this looks like in a two-year-old. When they don't get their way, they throw a tantrum. Now, when we don't give our, our way, we usually don't throw a tantrum outside. But what we learned about age two continues on in life, Right? Yeah, I didn't get my way, and so that's the third cause. And so here's the whole point, is that if you want to grow in the area of anger, you need to become very honest with about what's creating your anger. What, you, know, you trace it back to its source. And here's what I'm telling you. For a lot of Christians, this is very hard to do. And the reason is, we've been taught that anger is a bad thing, that Jesus doesn't want us angry. And so you say to someone, well, you look angry. Oh, I'm not angry. Well, you sure look angry. I'm not angry. Well, I don't know. It just seems like you sure nothing's... I'm telling you, I'm not angry. It's like, could you tell it your face in on it? Right? And, and in all seriousness, in Christian circles, we often have a hard time admitting the truth about ourselves because we feel like God's not going to like us and we're a failure if we do. The reality is God already knows we're a failure, right? And the reality is, is he loves us anyway. And so he's like the doctor. If we're not honest about the symptoms, he can never help us get the cure. So, so coming to Jesus, just as we are all messed up, should be the safest place in all the universe for you. He already, loved, he already died you, for you when you were his enemy. You see? We've already got that out of the way. Now that you're his friend, you see, he's going to be there to help. So that's the second thing. Trace it out. Uh, number three. The third step is to take it to God, use it to grow, and then let it go. Take it to God, use it to grow. So part of this process, we stop defending it, right? Okay, I'm, I'm angry. We stop defending it. I trace it back. Oh, here's what's going on. Now we need to take it to God. We need to go to God with it. And we say, Jesus, here's what's going on in my life. This person hurt me. This person, uh, they, they, uh, they, they insulted me. This person kind of violated what I wanted to have happen. I'm angry about that. We take it to God, right? We, we bring it into his presence. Jesus, will you help me with this? I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get rid of my anger. I need to bring it into your presence. I need some help. This, and, and the second part of that is we take it to God, and then we let it help us to grow. Now, how does it help us to grow? Um, well, anger is an amazing diagnostic tool. Okay? Anger is a sign that there's something wrong with your heart or my heart. And when we trace, take it to God, we can let the anger show us what it is that's wrong with our heart and help us to grow. For example, let's say that you come to Jesus and someone has hurt you and you're dialoguing with him about that. And Lord, I've got this issue and I'm angry and I think it's because they hurt me and all. Okay, what is Jesus going to say to him? Is he going to say, okay, great. Here's what I'd like you to do. Go back and hurt them the same way. No, no. He's going to say, okay, okay, here's where you need to grow. Remember, we've talked about forgiveness before. Here's a great opportunity for you to grow in forgiveness. Okay? Uh, well, this person, they insulted me. Yes, they did. But remember how we've talked out, as my follower, one of the things I want to create in you is humility. Remember that? We've talked about that. And he said, this is an awesome opportunity for you to grow in 
humility. Because what's happening is your anger is revealing a pride in your heart. Okay? And, and it's revealing it. Now we have an opportunity to grow. Let me help you grow in your humility. Well, Jesus, I, I, this is not what I wanted to happen. I deserve that promotion. I understand that. But uh, remember we've talked before about surrendering your will for your life to my will. And this is a great opportunity for you to die to your will and embrace my will. Remember Joseph. Uh, his brothers do all these evil things to him. He says, well, hey, it was, it was, uh, he said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And so he reframed it. He began to see it through his God glasses. Yes, they did this evil, and, and it's a bad thing, but God's still in control of my life, and God's going to use this, and God's allowed this to happen, so I need to surrender to this and accept this in my life, you see? So what happens, if we will let it, our anger, it will drive us to Jesus, and that right there with Jesus, then he will allow us to change us from the inside out to be able to change us to be more like him in these areas. Does that make sense? Okay, now, after we do that, after we let it uh, drive us to him, we take it to God, we use it to grow, then we can let it go. It's at that point then, that now what they're able, we're saying, okay, so yes, they've hurt you, and we've talked about forgiveness here, and, and, and we've worked on that, and now, okay, you understand where it's coming from, I want you to let it go, right? Now you understand, it's an insult, I want you to let it go. And here's what I find in my life is that the most common thing I hear the Spirit of God saying to me in my life when it comes to anger is, Mike, you've got to let this go. You've got to let it go. It's let it go. But I can't let it go until I go through this process usually. And I, well, what's causing it? Where is it coming from? What's this about? Okay, this is about my pro- So what do, I, what do I let go? I need to know what to let go of. Okay, you need to let go of your hatred. You need to let go of your pride. You need to let go. And he identifies what it is to let go. Okay, I get it. And now with his help, I can begin to, to trust him and let that go. So important. Uh, this area like frustration, you know, like, like letting it go. Uh, you know, we talked about the three areas, uh, 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 pride and uh, hurt and frustration. Uh, great example. I was at the Northridge Mall uh, a few months ago, and I was having a dinner meeting there. And so if you can picture that, those of you who know the Northridge Mall, you know where the Wood Ranch is and that the barbecue place. And so I'm, I'm driving this way. Wood, Wood Ranch is here on my left. And so I'm waiting to turn down an aisle uh, to the right to get a parking space, and there's this car coming towards me. They want to turn in the same parking space. Now, of course, I've got the right-of-way, right, because it's the right-hand turn. And so we're both waiting, and there's a car that's backing out there. And it's in, it's in the primo spot, you know what I'm saying? Closest one to the door. It's like jackpot time. And so the car is backing out. And so I'm thinking like, awesome, that's my, 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 uh, my, my lucky day. You know, God's taking care of me. And, uh, and they're, they're backing out. And so I pull into the spot. And as I'm getting out of my car, I hear some honking going on in the, in the parking lot. And I'm thinking, that's really weird. I wonder who's honking. <coughs> and, I, and I get out. It's a true story. I get out. And I look behind me, and, and there's this car, the one I've been t- waiting to turn left into the, to the same thing, you know, where I had the right-of-way. Uh, th- th- it was them honking. And I'm looking now, and I can see it's a very elderly uh, a, a couple. I think they go here Saturday nights. No, just kidding. Um, and, and they are just honking, just laying on the horn, you know, like, honk, honk. And I'm like, I wonder if they're honking at me. And so I, I walk up to the window. I knock on the window. She rolls it down. She was driving, her husband. And I said, excuse me, are you honking at me? And she said, yes, we are. And I said, well, well, well why are you honking at me? Because you took my spot. I said, um, would you like that spot back? And she said, yes, I would. I said, okay, well, let me move. Now, I'm telling you a story because it's never going to get any better than this, right? This is the one time in my life I've done this the right way. <laughs> and this is my last week here. I just want to go out with a bang. <laughs> so if you just close in prayer with me, <laughs> I finally like Jesus for one moment in my life. Uh, all right, so, but isn't that true that, that many times what gets us angry in life is that someone takes our space, right? Someone takes our space in life. And we get angry. We wanted that space. And so Jesus comes and says, okay, okay, now you understand what's causing the anger. I want you to let it go. Okay, you brought it to me. You've realized it's this, it's this thing inside of you. What it, here you are. Now let it go. Now, there's a fourth step in this process. And the fourth step is to move towards the situation. 
move towards it. Now, I hope you didn't miss this. When we went through the scripture, Jesus gave us two illustrations. He says, when you get angry at someone, here's what you need to do. Don't resort to name calling. (laughs) Don't go to Jerusalem to get right with God and ignore it like it never happened. When you have a fallout in a relationship, you need to move towards that person to try to reconcile. And he says, now, now, I understand this. Now, this doesn't always work, right? There's some people that are impossible. They want to be at war with you. There's nothing you can do. If someone wants to go to war with you, nothing you can do to prevent that. And so you reach out to them. They still want to be at war. You can't solve that problem. I understand that. But what Jesus says is that when, when you have a rift in a relationship, the solution is not always just to get away by yourself and pray to God and get right with God and ask God to forgive you and you be at peace. That's not, that's a religious solution, right? He says what Jesus is concerned about is healing of relationships. So he says, so while you, instead, don't go to the altar and say, God, can I be, get right with you? He says, no, go back towards the person and try to restore the relationship. Now, frankly, this is the one step we often don't want to do but it's often the key to dealing with our anger. It's very hard to release our anger until we've taken this step oftentimes. And so Jesus says, like, I want you to move towards the person, right? And and make that part of your process of dealing with the anger. Let's try to get the relationship restored because that's what Jesus is all about, right? What we're going to see over and over in this series in this next uh, five or six weeks as we go through these six examples of Jesus, is what Jesus is going to do, basically he's opening his heart to us and saying, let me show you how I do life. Let me show you an inner world of my heart and what it's like and the way I want to make your heart. And so he says, my heart is about reconciliation, about restoring broken relationships. It's not about just going to Jerusalem, asking God to forgive me, and I'm being right with God. My heart is about restoring relationships. I want your righteousness to be real, not religious. You see? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, this teaching, this uh, in your word on anger, God, and for helping us to understand this is a really critical component of walking with you. This is on a scale of one to ten. This is one of the biggies that we need to grow in this area. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you'd help us. Lord, I know there's some of us here right now that are probably for the first time in their life, kind of realizing what a big deal their anger is. And, and, and what they need to do right now is just come and give it to you and confess it. Stop defending it. Uh, for some of us here, Lord, we just realize, man, we got to get this, our act together and we have no ability or power on our own and we need your help to come and change us from the inside out as we begin working these steps. For some of us here, Lord, there's a broken relationship and we've held bitterness in our heart and we We've not been honest about that. We've been one of those people that have been pretending we're not angry, and yet the whole world can see we're angry. It's been 20 years, and we're still bitter. For others of us, Lord, it's, there's a relationship we need to work towards to try to restore. And so, Lord, we're in all different spots, but Jesus, we thank you that you hung on that cross. You died on the cross to forgive us for our anger. And Lord, today we want to receive your forgiveness. And Lord, we know that you also, you hung on that cross so your spirit could be set free in our life so you could change us and take away our anger. And Lord, so we pray as a congregation today, as we come to the communion table, whether it's to confess our anger, whether it's to ask your help to change us from the inside out as we receive your body and your blood, or whether it's to commit ourselves to this week to go after that relationship and try to restore it, we thank you that in your communion table, There is grace and there is power because we come to you in faith and through our faith we connect with you in this ceremony and you're the one that can change us. And so Lord, we we bring to you today just as we come as we are, we're all messed up, we know it. We're so thankful you came to get us straight, change us. And so we pray now that you'd meet us as we worship and receive communion together. We pray this in your name, amen for our anger in your cross. And Lord, we thank you that there is power to transform our anger in your cross. Lord, we thank you for the grace that is in your cross that allows us to be honest with you about our anger. And we're thankful for the courage that your cross gives and models for us to move towards those that we need to be reconciled with. Lord, we are thankful for your cross.
Lord, we stand before you as a forgiven people. God, a, a people that has no right to be here. It's nothing about us, Lord. It's about your grace. And we are thankful for your cross. Lord, we pray that we would be able to go out now and to live in the light of your cross. Thank you that you came to take away our anger. And Lord, we pray that you would replace it with your peace. You give us courage to take these steps we've talked about today, that we would be known as peacemakers. As we studied earlier, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So we bring our service to a close. We want to bring you praise. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be men and women who are learning to follow in just the trenches of everyday life in such a practical area of anger. God, we pray that we would begin taking small steps. We know it's a, it's a long journey. It's not something we overcome in a, in a day or a night or one message, but, but we can start that journey, God, with a new commitment to understanding how key this is to living life the right way. And so today, Lord, we come. We come as a church confessing our sin. We come as a church receiving your forgiveness. We come as a church receiving the power of your spirit to change us from the inside out. We come as a church that's obedient to follow these steps, Lord, to be honest and to bring it to you and to stop defending and to move towards one another. We pray that you'd give us the courage this week to follow you every step of the way, that we would be changed people and truly a light on a hill, showing an alternative life, a different life, a different whole different kind of life. It's not about being religious. It's about being right from the inside out. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, may the Lord bless you. May have a great, terrific week. May we a week of growth. And as you reflect on these things in your life groups, as you learn together, and uh, then we'll see you next weekend. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.